Community. One of the beautiful things about community is that we, sometimes we're in a place of abundance and sometimes we're in a place of need. And sometimes those needs are more acute and um, sometimes that abundance, one of the ways we can bless each other is by giving people space for their abundance to land. That's kind of a paraphrase of a takeaway. I totally didn't explain that clearly. But um, we're, we'll tell you a little bit about the Thrive Conference we were just at. But in terms of community, stepping up and meeting one another's needs and looking out for each other. And I wanted to really quick give Nadine a chance. Do you want to, I think, if you want to share now quickly, will you stand and tell people what you are offering? Nice and loud, yeah. So yeah, if you would like an aquarium, then come talk to Nadine. Or if you have muscles and are willing, if you don't need or want an aquarium, but you have muscles and are willing to help, then check in with them because that will, that would be really helpful. So yeah, hey, I wanted to invite somebody up to give you a little snapshot into an inspiring moment or kind of inspiring theme that was running through the Thrive Conference for this person. There were, raise your hand if you went, that's still in here. Raise your hand if you were there. Cool, so, yeah, we had a, a good experience connected with people from all around, up and down the, the region, people from Santa Barbara up to Salinas, made some great friends, heard some good talks. Um, I wanted to invite Janie up and share specifically something that, that she was really inspired by and excited about, so come on up. Everybody, this is Janie. If you haven't met her, you, uh, if you don't know her, you need to know her. But, yeah, so just a couple minutes, share with us. Do you want a mic or do you want to, you're fine, go for it. Yeah, I sound like I'm crying when I'm in a mic. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cry. Uh, can you hear me back there? Um, I think my favorite part of the conference was um, learning about, um, or just being affirmed in the idea that children um, are, should be valued for what they have to contribute, that they have the Holy Spirit in them just as we do as an adult. And um, I think it, I think there were two thoughts too. I, with that, um, I was reminded of the fact that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that thought, I, I don't know, I just would really like to see us explore that more in our community here. Um, I, I really value, I think Eric and I both value churches where there's intergenerational worship and meaningful relationships happening, and I, I feel like that happens here, but I just want my kids to be a part of it more. So I want them connecting, uh, yeah, I don't know, and I want, uh, yeah, I just want to see those relationships being formed and possibly fostering opportunities for that to happen, and um, yeah, I think that was the main Away yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah, it was, was it your first vineyard conference? It was my first vineyard conference. <laughs> yeah, it was cool for us to just see Janie so 
just open to what God was doing. And because here's the deal, it's, it's actually tiring sometimes to let your heart be affected by things, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that? That's, you can, I'll let you sit, I'll take you off the hot seat, but thank you, thank you. Um, but I think, so the, the lady that was actually sharing about children was sharing about needs all around the world. And I, I mean, so I, you guys, I've spoke on missions for 15 years of my life, almost half of my life, doing the math here as well. Um, yikes, that's depressing, let me have a moment. Um, I've spoke on missions all around the world and shared about the needs of the world and poverty and injustice, but as this lady was sharing, I almost, I was so tempted just to kind of tune my heart out because I was like, that's too tiring and overwhelming to even think about. But it was so cool for me to see Janie just totally opening her heart to be impacted by what this lady had to say. And so I wanted to give her this space to kind of share that with you all because we really do. Shara is transitioning. Shara has been our children's director. Shara is transitioning, and we're going to need to kind of come together in a new way for this new season of Coastlands to take care of our children. It's not, we could do something where we just have people kind of come in and it's, it turns into childcare, but that's not what we want, right? We want our kids to be poured into, and the thing that's even more beautiful than that is our kids have something to teach us. Those of you that, that get to step in and, and help out the kids, you're going to come away like, wow, like I learned something about Jesus from these kids. So that's just, yeah. You got more? Yeah, please. Awesome. I would love to work something like that in. So, yeah. Okay. Hey, we've been talking about community. My name's Chris, for those of you that are here for the first time or that I haven't got to know very well, but we have been talking about community the last couple weeks, and community is one of those things that we all know we need it. Some of us have had great experiences with it and, and really lean in and dive in, and some of us, all we know in community is rejection. And... Oftentimes, our experience of community is shaped and informed by our family life growing up. So really, community is almost a second chance at doing family. And there's a redemptive purpose in God. So we're, we've been having some conversations. It's been very interactive. We've been asking a lot of questions, getting a feel from people. What's, you know, what does healthy community look like? What is God's heart for community, and who are we called to be? Some of the things that have come up, let me read a few of these things to you. So we've had people mention words like trust and acceptance, honesty, sacrifice, hope, where people feel valued. There's a a common purpose where we watch out for one another, and this word vulnerability. Some of those words are fun words, right? Like, yeah, acceptance. We all want to be accepted. Hope is a good word, but... When you start saying words like vulnerability, how many of you guys are like, oh, yeah, (laughs) right? It's like, oh, I totally did not want to mention in the email that we were going to talk for a few minutes this morning about vulnerability because I didn't know who would come. 
I don't know if I would come if I didn't have to give the talk. <laughs> I mean, think about this for a minute. The word vulnerability itself, I, I like the root of words. I like to find out where words come from. The word vulnerability comes from the Latin word vulnus. It means wound. And then it kind of morphed into vulneris, which means to wound. It's a verb. To wound. And then it turned into vulnerabilis, and then turned into our English word, vulnerability. So it has this idea of wounding at the core of it. Yay, it's a feel-good Sunday. <laughs> this is going to be fun. What, why would we say that part of community is opening ourselves up to be wounded? Why would we spend time on a Sunday morning encouraging people to be vulnerable with the idea of wounding at its core? Absolutely. Ha, parents, have you ever felt like with your children you actually wear your heart outside of your body? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, Nadine. There's vulnerability is rooted in. Is, and some of this stuff is going to be common sense to us. So here's the thing. I'm not going to be telling us things that we don't know. I'm reminding us to lean into things that we've learned to push away from. And you guys will understand what I mean, but absolutely, there is no love without vulnerability. See, the reason it's so hard for us to be vulnerable is we say, well, if I put myself out there, people might not accept me. The thing we forget is if we don't put ourselves out there, people can't accept us. They're just accepting a facade. They're accepting a shell. They're accepting the masks. But if we don't actually open up, there is no true acceptance. Last week, we ended by talking about Ephesians 4 and this beautiful picture that Paul paints of these, these people running a race together. We talked about how the you, the, the Paul says to the Ephesian church, live a life worthy of your calling and how that was a plural you. He's not just like Brett or Brenda. He's like, you all live a life worthy of your plural communal calling, which is running this race together, becoming one in Jesus Christ. It's this, I mean, the very word community means what? With unity. Community is doing life with unity. So what does it look like to become one? Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at why theologically that's so important to actually be one, why God would even care about that. But let me share with you an, an email that I got after a couple weeks ago when we ended up with that word lean in. This is an email I got. It said, hello, Chris. It's me. I wanted to share with you what I heard last week after you shared lean in. For me, lean in was the beginning of a sentence, and I heard, and open up, following. I had a picture of a skydiver getting ready to exit a plane. Anybody been skydiving? Look at you guys. Was it super easy? Was there any fear involved in the initial leap? 
We guys just like, oh, easy peasy, like my boys would say. A little bit of, little bit of fear. A couple years ago. You can you can you can't really even imagine the feeling, can you? If you haven't done it. I mean, try for a moment to like stir up the emotions you'd be feeling. Looking out, what was it, Dora? How many feet? So imagine sitting on a little ledge, looking out a, an opening, looking down on the ground is a, me- a meager 10,000 feet below you. And you're like, there's a guy on my back who has a parachute on his back, which should hypothetically open. One, two, three, go, right? <laughs> Probably not. But vulnerability feels that way, doesn't it? But so, so Dora, when you did it, did you, you, you did it, right? Okay, you made the leap, whatever happened to make you make the leap. And once you did it, did you stay like this? Did you kind of like... How were your arms? When you, what were your, yeah. Were your arms like this? Do you remember? Were you even, do you even notice what your arms were doing? <laughs> yeah. in, this, in this email, man, I, I don't have any desire to ever go skydiving. <laughs> um, in this email, this image was of, of somebody, a skydiver, getting ready to exit a plane. And it says, I suppose that they lean in as a way of falling out of the plane. So I guess it would be almost, yeah, lean in. And then open up as they free fall. It's a sense that, Yikes, but it's a sense of opening, our hearts opening to actually being wounded. For me, this meant, the email says, that we need to open up and be transparent with those we are leaning in to hear or to minister to or encourage. And I, I want to share that picture because I think that is a really significant picture of, of what we're working towards. I'm, I'm not going to say, all right, now everybody get up and share your deepest, darkest secrets with us. Right now, that's, that's not, we're trying not, we're not trying to cultivate a community of just like, vomiting our lives on one another. Obviously, there's a sense of common sense and, and, and boundaries and awareness, but what I want us to see is that, that actually, as we step into vulnerability, you find a sense of acceptance that, that absolutely blows away just trying to live for non-rejection. Does that make sense? Can, can I say that again so that I make sure I said what I was trying to say? There's a difference between leaning in and actually opening ourselves up for acceptance instead of just living with everybody at arm's distance and trying to shoot for non-rejection. I want us as a community to continue to move beyond just, hey, let's just be nice, let's just be fine, let's be you know, kind to one another, yes, but let's really, what does it matter in terms of why we really need to get to know one another? And that's one of the things we're going to look at. Um, we shared in Genesis 2 a couple weeks ago, it is not good, God says, the Father, Son, and Spirit, look at Adam standing there all lonely, naked and lonely, picture it if you want, don't picture it if you don't want, and God looks at them and says, it's not good for this man to be alone. 
And so God creates another human for him after this whole process of naming all these animals and they look at all the animals like, that's not a suitable helper, that's not a suitable person, that's not a suitable mate. All of a sudden this woman comes in and Adam's like, yeah, that's the one, that's the business. And Adam and Eve are drawn together and then look at what it says. We have some, do we have some verses here? In Genesis 2, therefore, this is the commentary Moses gives, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is not a marriage seminar, but this is, we're thinking about this whole idea of coming together in oneness. This is, again, the picture that Paul is giving us in Ephesians 4. We're called to run together, to come together, to be united. And then look at what it says about them. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, we could take this in really awkward directions. But this is painting a picture of vulnerability to where Adam and Eve literally, physically, emotionally have everything out there for one another. And there is no shame because there is no oneness with anything less than that. They are called to be one to such an extent that they literally become one flesh. But that's not what most of us experience, is it? Let me read you something that just, it blows my mind. So, have you ever noticed that the Bible lays out certain truths and then society and science catches on sometimes thousands of years later? That the Bible was actually right? You notice that? The Bible will say something and then years and years later, people are like, hey, this is a really good idea. Like, they discovered it somehow. The whole idea of anesthetics, anesthesia, came from Genesis 2. You know that? God put the man to sleep. That's where the doctor came up with the idea of, of putting people out for surgery. It was from Genesis 2. The Bible lays out these things, and science discovers, sometimes millennia later, hey, God, it's smart. Let me tell you something they're realizing neuroscientists are discovering. I'm going to read you. It's, it's a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. And it's written by a Christian neuroscientist. I know there's a couple of people in here reading it or have heard about it. This, this author, he's a Christian neuroscientist. And he's, he's writing in regards to a man named Daniel Siegel, who's a leading neuroscientist. And he's at this seminar, describing a seminar on this impacting thing he, he learned. He says, in particular, Dr. Siegel said that an important part of how people change, how many of you would like to be more whole? Raise your hand if you want to stay how you are for the rest of your life. Okay. <laughs> we all want to be more whole, but isn't the tricky question, well, how does that come about? Right? If there was like a magic wand, we could just wave over one another. It's like, well, yeah, how do we become more whole? Listen to what they're learning. Said an important part of how people change, how people grow, how people are healed, not just in their experiences, but actually in their neural circuitry, is through the process of telling their stories to an empathetic listener. This is good stuff. When a person tells his or her story, and now here's the clincher, and is truly heard and understood, 
both she or he and the listener, listen to this, not just the person sharing their story, but the person absorbing the story, they undergo actual changes in their neural circuitry. They feel a greater sense of emotional and relational connection. How many of you could use greater emotional relation? That's what we're wired for. It's not good for us to be alone. Decreased anxiety. Anybody want to take that pill? For like, hey, there's a, there's a natural, no side effects fix to decrease your anxiety. He's like, nah, just give me... Whatever, I don't, I'm not going to go into that. Decreased anxiety. They're saying by sharing one another's stories, by being storytellers and story absorbers, we can actually decrease our anxiety, increase our connection, and a greater awareness of and compassion for others and their suffering. Did you ever imagine? Now, that's Genesis 2, isn't it? Now, maybe Adam and Eve didn't necessarily have this profound healing and rejection to go through, but what God was saying is, look at as you open up to one another, you will stay whole. You will stay healthy. You will not experience anxiety to the extent as if you were to close off from one another. And as soon as Adam and Eve go and hide, what happens? Their anxiety and their shame is perpetuated. It compounds. It builds, right? We're going to go into some of those dynamics in a few months, but... As we share our very stories, our brains and our hearts are actually healed. Did you ever think about that before? Now, I can read that to you from a neuroscience point of view, but how many of you already know that's true because you've experienced it? Raise your hand. How many of you have experienced it in an interaction? Because God knew this all along. And neuroscientists are like, hey, check this out. This is cool. As we share our stories, and I was tempted to make a really strong statement. I don't want to overstate it, but for me and my personal experience, Sarah and I have, we've experienced a little bit of loss. And I I use the term a little bit lightly. But one of the things I've discovered through the journey is that one of the most healing moments for us does not come when someone looks at us and says, God has a plan. The healing moment does not come when God says, Well, God knows what they're doing. It must have been their time. That actually frustrates me, to be honest with you guys. Sorry, I'm not trying to open up a can we don't need to go into, but the healing moment comes when somebody looks at me and they're like, that is painful. And I'm so sorry. I've, can I tell you a quick story? That I, (laughs) I, I didn't, I'm tempted, I I don't want to, there's a balance you have to keep in terms of a community coming together, because I don't want you guys to feel like like I'm trying to push us in the deep end. I don't want us to be felt like we're we're being pushed into the deep end, but but this is very, very important to me, and I, so anybody heard of the book The Shack? Okay. So, it's a decent book. Has anybody heard of the book Crossroads? Same author. So, Paul Young, who's become a friend of ours and, and a very healing person in our lives, he wrote The Shack, and then he, he followed up. His second book is called Crossroads. And, and I remember, 
I was reading Crossroads, and there's this moment in there. There's a certain word that he puts in that absolutely just rocked my world. And I'm not going to tell you what the word was until I tell the rest of the story. But So the first time I got a chance to meet Paul, I had to tell him about how his book impacted me. And so I went to him and I said, hey, you know what? I just wanted you to know that when you put this one certain word in this paragraph, it changed my life and brought such a profound healing to me. And he looked at me. I didn't even tell him what the word was, you guys. He looked at me, and with tears in his eyes, I had known him for two days. With tears in his eyes, he looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And he just gave me this huge embrace. The word that I was talking about was the word conceive. There's this interaction in the book, there's this engagement where there's this man who meets a a C.S. Lewis type figure and and there's this reality about God's heart for every human and and he says, the, the main character of the story, he says, so you're saying this is true for every human ever born? And the C.S. Lewis figure interrupts him and corrects him and says, no, every human ever conceived. And that, that word triggered something in our mind in regards to our experience with, with loss and with miscarriage. Because there's a big difference between babies born and babies conceived, isn't there? All of a sudden, the net is cast much wider. And I didn't even tell Paul that was the word. I just looked at him and I said, I said there was one word you wrote that changed my life. And he knew immediately what word it was. And he didn't say, God knows what God's doing. He didn't say, God has a perfect plan. Maybe he believed that. But he knew that's not what my heart was looking for. He looked me in the eye, and with tears in his eyes, he said, I'm so sorry. And he swallowed me up in his five foot six (laughs) frame in this fatherly hug. God literally transforms our hearts and our brains as we enter into one another's stories. As we have the courage to put our story out there, as we have the courage to draw out the stories of others, God says, this is where you'll find wholeness. Prayer is beautiful. Prayer is powerful. I'm not trying to undermine the power of prayer, but I'm trying to raise up in our minds the significance of us being a place where we can hear and experience one another's stories. That's why small groups are so significant. That's why us having these groups and creating these groups where we get together throughout the week where we can just be real and be raw. What if we had a small group that was simply for the purpose of getting together and hearing one another's stories? No agenda other than just to dive in and experience and be together in who we are. I would sign up for that. And I imagine there'd be so much life in Can you guys feel what I'm trying to put words to? Have you experienced this, what I've experienced? I, man, there's so much to say about this, but there's, I wanted to give a little more lighthearted example. (laughs) So, anybody ever seen 
this really insignificant trilogy becoming, no, who's seen Lord of the Rings? Raise your hand if you, yeah. So if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, homework. No. Um, or maybe you've read the book, okay? So who's familiar with Tolkien's work, The Lord of the Rings? All right. Now, I want you to be honest with me. Don't give me the Christian, compassionate answer right now, but I want you to be honest with me. When you see the film, so imagine there's a scene where one of these orcs, you can pi- picture, in a, we, have a, we have a photo of some orcs. So these are our frightening, frightening, ferocious orcs. What I'm, have you guys seen those toys before? Do you have any of those? The Lego one. Those aren't very frightening, are they? Good thing we didn't put a real photo, hey? Keep this G-rated. Now, those aren't very frightening, but, all right, so I want you to be honest with me. You're watching Lord of the Rings, and it's a battle between the good guys, who we all know, you know, Gimli, and let's just use the original stuff, but so Aragorn and Legolas and all these guys, and then the orcs. And an orc runs out and is just about to end the life of one of our good guys. And the good guy turns on him and does, <laughs> G-rated. Let's just say that the, the orc loses his head in the situation, okay? How many of you guys, being really honest, part of you wants to be like, yeah, <laughs> don't lie to me. There's something inside that wants to be like, yeah, okay? And you hear that in the theater, don't you? You can almost sense like this sense of like victory when one of the bad guys gets what's coming to him. Now, have you ever noticed? Actually, let me do this to you. So let's change the picture for a minute. Imagine that same scene. Now back that scene up about 45 seconds or even two minutes. Same orc, but it's the night before. And he comes home from battle to his little orc home. And he opens the door to his little orc hut and his gentle, kind orc wife comes and meets him at the door and greets him with a kiss. Come on, stay with me. So his orc wife comes and greets him with a kiss. And then in the back, you hear this little stirring, and you hear this little tiny five-month-old orc baby crying. And this orc walks over to the orc bed, orc bassinet, where the baby's crying, and he picks up the orc baby, and he kisses it on the forehead. And the orc baby's moving its cute little orc arms and orc feet and smiling. This is in the extended version, if you haven't seen it. No, it's not. <laughs> and then they sit down and have a nice meal together, and the wife is like, so how was your orc day? And he's like, oh, it was orc horrible, because I had to kill all these guys and my boss. And, and, and you see this sense that this orc doesn't want to go to war, but actually it's because the boss, the general, will kill him if he doesn't. It's not like he wants to be a warrior. He has no choice. He doesn't want to leave his orc family the next morning. But fast forward to the next morning after their meal, and they, all have, they read a bedtime story together, and he tucks his orc baby into bed. And the next morning, he goes out of his orc door back to battle. And that's where the camera pans in. And you see Gimli come with his axe and take this orc's head off. How many of you, you would have the same reaction as before? If you said yes, 
shame on, no, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. We're not that kind of church. We don't shame on each other. But do you get what I'm saying? We can only have compassion on someone to the extent that we know their story. We can only have compassion on someone to the extent that we know their story. Now, what happened in your heart as I described this orc and gave you some, a window into another facet of his life? Did something change in your heart towards him? Now think about this for a minute. This is one of these guys. This is a nasty, gruesome orc we're talking about. Yet you said that when you heard his story, something changed in your heart towards him. It's fascinating, isn't it? How much more will hearing the stories of one another, who we already are postured to love, who we already like, who we are already for, how much more will hearing one another's stories knit our hearts together in the kind of unity that Paul is praying and crying out for in his community? Knowing that we struggle with this or that or knowing that this is an issue for us and knowing the background behind that, doesn't that open your hearts to us in a different way than just saying, oh, this guy struggles with this addiction or this girl has an issue with rejection? When you find out why, all of a sudden, it moves from pity to compassion, doesn't it? Are you guys tracking with me? What's that, Joseph? Joseph? And I think that's one of the things I want us to recapture this morning is how do we become the kind of community that creates a safe space for story sharing and story absorbing in a way that knits our hearts deeper together with one another. And you guys are like, well, give me some scripture for that. Anybody that won a couple scriptures just to say that we did have scripture? No, I mean, isn't the whole Bible itself about God sharing God's story with us? The whole thing is that God says, I want you to enter into my story. As we hear God's story, we are drawn into it and our hearts are open to it. But let me give you a, a verse that, what, what do we have next, Eric? Let's, let's play Bible roulette. Okay, let's just see what he has for us. Wait a minute, Eric, are you playing a joke on me? Hey, do the next one, actually. Go to the next one, and we'll come back to this. Now, here's your scolding for the morning. No, this is not a scolding. This is what Paul says to the Colossian church. Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another. Now, how many of you guys are like, any liars in here? No, we're not, the point, Paul is not saying... This isn't about telling lies like, did you take the cookie out of the cookie jar? That's not what Paul's talking about. Listen to this. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self, you're a new you, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Do not lie to one another. Paul is saying, be authentic. A.K.A. when someone says, how are you doing? If you're not fine, don't say fine. Well, obviously, we have to be the kind of people that really mean, how are you doing when we ask, how are you doing? But Paul is saying, be authentic with one another. Because there's a new you, and you need to give that new you expression. The word image in here is very important. And we, 
that brings us back to Genesis 1 and 2, doesn't it? But think about some of the images. Isn't our culture today all about image? It's all about what we project, what we put out there. And it's all about putting our best foot forward. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about putting your real foot forward. Because without that, you can't be loved. And let me just end with this scripture, and then we'll tie this together and we'll pray for one another. Now listen to this. Why does this matter? Why do we need each of us to be our real, authentic selves? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom to be authentic. And we all, with unveiled face, what is that all about? With unveiled face, taking off the masks, in other words, are being transformed into the same image, it's that word image again, from one degree of glory to another. Isn't this another way of saying what this neuroscientist discovered? As we take off the masks, we are transformed. As we create space for people to be real, to be authentic, we let our real selves have their expression, and that becomes the real us that we live out of. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, it's a call to authenticity, so that we can be the full expression. Do you want to know how we experience and encounter God in community? Yes, it's focusing on God in worship. Thank you, Jim and Jessica, for leading us in that beautiful time. We love having you guys here. It is looking up towards God, but it's also looking at one another's unveiled faces because that is where God deposits God's glory. And if we aren't authentic, if we aren't real, we are actually veiling once again the glory of God from one another. Have you ever thought of it that way? Time gets going so quickly. It's crazy. 